you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. Welcome back to the monthly installment of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you're doing great today while you're listening to this. Before we begin talking about the 27th anniversary of my weight loss, please visit my website, naturopathicearth.com, naturopathicearth.com. If you Google NPE Radio, which is the flagship podcast of mine, uh, you will find the website if you're having difficulty spelling it. If you go there, there are loads of articles dealing with how to lose weight, how to maintain your weight, biohacks that you can do to rev up your metabolism. Some are very obvious, like sleeping well, and some are not that obvious, like avoiding plastics. I also have the original 14 or so written Confessions of an Obese Child blog. Later, of course, I went all to the podcast. So go check that out. Also, if you're interested in losing weight, you have childhood uh, feeding issues, you're an emotional eater like I was, and you just want some guidance, I am a certified paleo-inspired health coach. So contact me through the site or through any of the social media outlets that I am on, and I can help you with that. And if you like any of the material that I provide you or that Kate provides you in Kate's Apothecary, our podcast about aromatherapy and mindfulness, please go to our Patreon account. Patreon is like a GoFundMe website, and there you can donate anywhere from a dollar to five to ten dollars a month to help defray the costs of these podcasts and the website because I am just a high school teacher who does not make a lot of money. So yes, please do that. Follow the links on this episode page. All right. Okay, so I am... Releasing this podcast on the 27th anniversary of my weight loss. If you are new to Confessions of an Obese Child, let me give you a quick review of my life like they do at the beginning of episodes uh, on TV. So I was an obese child, hence the name Confessions of an Obese Child. I reached my apex of weight around age 15. I was about 280 pounds with about a size 58 waist. I was not the type of kid who put his belt underneath his belly, which I probably should have done because that's what most people do when they have a belly. I put it around the, the widest circumference of my belly, and that's why I was a size 58. I had mentioned in episode four, which is the locker room, how kids used to steal my pants in uh, junior high and they would see how many kids would fit in my in my, my PE pants. And I had to get special PE pants because even in junior high, they're the largest size you could buy at uh, 
Walmart or Kmart back then didn't fit me. So I had to get specially ordered super elastic-y pants that always fell off because their elastic wasn't strong enough. So the kids used to steal that all the time. Around the age of 17, uh, through serendipity, through uh, a variety of factors, and if you go to the episode, I think it's 21, How Did I Lose My Weight? You can listen to that episode. I did lose my weight. And I lost it pretty quickly. I did not bulimicize myself. There was no vomiting or anything like that. I lost all my weight around the beginning, at the end of my junior year in high school. And uh, it was May 4th, 1991. So Papa Bush was president. His wife was Barbara Crowley. If any of you know any conspiracy theories, Aleister Crowley was the great occultist, the great Satanist. Go Google his face and Barbara Bush. And uh, there's a great conspiracy theory about who her real father was. And it was the time of music of MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice and Delight and Madonna. And so I lost my weight around that time. After that, I sublimated my eating disorder because I, I've clearly, you know, to, to be an overweight child, if I think if we look in the mirror, we all know, uh, all of you that were overweight children know that we're emotional eaters. The chances of you having some thyroid issue, like a hypothyroidic issue, and that's why you were overweight or had some endocrine problem, okay, it, it's possible, but it's very slim. Most overweight children are emotional eaters, and that's how we got that way. And to go back even more in past, uh, I, I, I attribute my emotional eating to the fact that I did not have a nurturing parental structure. My father was working most of the time, and he was a rageaholic and an alcoholic who could just turn it on and off. So he would wax between rageaholic, horrible, putting me down, cussing at me to being quite pleasant and being my soccer coach. So if you want more on that, go to the episode called The Cancer Doctor. And then my mother suffered from depression and kind of withdrew most of my childhood. And so um, I didn't get the, the, the attention I needed. So I turned to food because food was the most readily accessible thing when you're six years old. Uh, so going back to to college. So then I went to the senior year in high school. Uh, I and through college, I struggled. And honestly, I mean, this went all the way to probably my late 30s. I struggled as to how to still have food be a release for me while keeping my weight off. Because as with any good food addicts you know, th- who have lost their weight, the, the worst nightmare, kind of like Flowers for Algernon, that, that novel about the man who's not that smart, and then he takes an experimental drug and becomes really brilliant, and then the drug wears off and he goes back slowly to being the, the way he was before, is once you've lost your weight and you've experienced a semblance of a normal life, and when I mean a normal life, when I was 18, I meant girls, being able to kiss a girl, being able to touch girls, and eventually having sex with girls, you don't want to go back to that. But through most of my 20s, I didn't have the tools necessary to develop healthy eating patterns. So depending on which decade I'm talking about, I, had, I continued my disordered eating, which is mostly in the form of binge eating, 
And then I would overexercise to burn off whatever inordinate amount of food that I would eat. And when I mean inordinate, back in the 20s, go back to the episode of Food is My Mistress. When I lived in Alaska, I mean, we're talking about four Big Macs, three bean burritos, two gallons of ice cream. I mean, it was inordinate. Also, during these these 20s, I still blamed my parents for all the trauma, the early childhood trauma, which I documented pretty well in those first 17 episodes that I went through, and I blamed them for everything, for all the, the, the trauma that, uh, that, that happened to me, and then all the coping mechanisms that I developed throughout my adulthood. Now, looking back when I was 27... A random year in my life. I had no idea what couple of mechanisms I really developed. It's only really in the last three years. And really, to be honest, guys, through this podcast, and I'll talk about this at the end, that I really made the connections. So through my 20s and 30s, through the time I was uh, with my ex-wife, uh, I struggled with eating. Uh, I would hide and, and binge eat in the car. Uh, because I didn't want her to know about it, because, um, you know, that's what addicts do, right? They hide stuff from their loved ones, either because their loved ones have hit compassion fatigue and don't want to hear about it, and like, oh, well, if you know you get sick or you, you don't like the way you feel, then stop doing it, and they just lose compassion for you. Or more often than not, you just, it's, it's something that there's deep shame about, and so you do it alone, right? And then then you promise you're not going to do it again because you don't like the way you feel about yourself and you don't like the way your body feels, but that shame just builds and builds until you binge again. That's how it works. So I did that until about my late 30s, and then I started embracing aspects of paleo. I stumbled upon... Uh, a lot of the, the, the paleo podcasts like um, Joe Rogan and, and Bulletproof Exec and, and, and Mark Sisson and all these podcasts, I started adapting fasting. And fasting helped, and I've been doing it about four years now, daily fasting, I just compressed eating window. Fasting helped in that it was a way to temper the binge eating cravings. So in a, in a typical day through my 20s and 30s, I would eat breakfast and then that would just get my, my insulin going and my blood sugar spiking. And it just put me on the road to uh, overeating. With fasting, fasting gives me structure and routine. And that is one of the coping mechanisms that I developed as a youth was needing structure and routine. So one of the benefits of fasting, and I eat you know, from 1 to 7 p.m., 1 to 8 p.m. or something like that, is that it takes away the, the stress of eating most of the day. In the morning, I don't have hunger pangs. I, don't, I feel fine. My cognition is incredibly good during this time. And then I just eat a normal lunch and a normal dinner. So it's kind of like dammed up the wild river. Going back to Alaska, Alaska has a lot of wild rivers. And it's dammed it up. And so it's really regulated it. And I think that really helped uh, controlling the eating. And so when I was able to control the eating, then I was able to kind of look in the mirror more and try to f- do the deep work. And I've mentioned that, that term quite a bit on this series 
and also on the MP radio episode on uh, when you have breakups, how to, how to deal with the breakup of somebody. That was my Valentine's episode. Go back to that one if you're just recently broken up with somebody. Uh, you you got to look in the mirror and attribute like actions that you did that led to the breakup and do the deep work. And so doing the, the, the fasting kind of helped me take a breath from the years of cyclical binge eating and help me look in the mirror. And a result of looking in the mirror was the idea of this website and this podcast. Uh, if, if you've been with me since day one, when it was Integra Vita Wellness, uh, you know the first 11 podcasts I did were all confessions of an obese child. I didn't start doing Naturopathy Earth Radio until I probably had 20 confession episodes. So the, the, the website and the origin of the website and the, the podcast, the first podcast, was all about being a health coach and helping people that had the same problems I had, just were overweight children or currently overweight who suffer from emotional eating and just helping them. Because I think, honestly, and this is not a humble brag or anything like that, but I think I have a unique story. I think that I have a background given my background, to help people who, who are overweight and who are emotional eaters. Uh, I can certainly relate to you much more than some 22-year-old trainer from Gold's Gym. You know, I can definitely relate much more uh, to the inner workings of your mind than they could. So the, the website and the writing down of my childhood experiences and then articulating them on a podcast, which can be heard by anyone in my life, my family, my boss, my lovers, you know, my friends, anybody can listen to these podcasts. It's extremely vulnerable. It's extremely vulnerable. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's just, this is how I process. And as it is, I'm a pretty open person. But having a podcast where I talk about my innermost feelings and my innermost vulnerabilities is frightening, but overall, it's very cathartic and it's very liberating. And I think most of you know, if you listen to the uh, if you listen to the breakup episode of Valentine's, I am single, and so when I am on dating apps or whatever, and I, I start texting with a woman or whatever, I tell them, and I am honest. I'm like, if you really want to get to know who I am before we meet, go listen to my podcasts, and I tell them about this podcast, and part of me is like, why would I tell a woman about a podcast series where I actually have an episode titled, How Growing Up Obese Destroyed All My Relationships? It's probably not the smartest thing to do. But at the same time, I am the type of person who believes in full disclosure. I don't, I don't, I think it's completely disingenuous to put on a face when you go on dates, when you first meet somebody. I mean, to a certain extent on the first date, and this is off topic, of course, but you know, I love off topic, especially on confession series. Uh, it, to a certain extent, we put out our best foot, like our ambassador on the first couple of dates. Uh, but, but I think we have a tendency to portray ourselves as something that we're not. And of course, on a first date, you're not going to tell somebody, oh, I'm bipolar, or oh, I have herpes, or I'm a narcissist, or something like that. You're not going to do that. 
But eventually it's going to come out. I mean, you can't hide it from people, especially if you start dating them multiple times. I suppose if you're like a compulsive liar and you're highly manipulative, you could do that. But as a whole, people are going to find out about your herpes and about your bipolar and all those things. So uh, maybe it's counter and counterproductive to do the way I do it. But I, I just think, well, they're going to find out eventually that I have a podcast and they're going to ask what they're called, and they're probably going to go listen to an episode or two just to see what it's like. And I can't hide these podcast episodes, so why not just tell them and be honest? And if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, if they're like, oh, this guy's got um, some processing to do, then they don't. You know, I just believe it's like it's like going to a supermarket and, and there's 57 types of cereal. It's, it's just full and open and then you make the choice. You make the choice. But going back. So I did the podcast. And through the last year, year and three months of doing confessions, I've had a lot of revelations that um, I want to share with you. So let's take a break. All right, that was my smooth, relaxing bass here. I just warmed up some tea. I'm recording this on um, Thursday morning here. Yeah, I got this Tezo green tea mix pack, literally 50 packets for like $3, so I doubt this tea's high quality. So one of the first breakthroughs I had was stop blaming my parents. I talked about this, I think, on episode one, Why Did I Become Fat? And I, I, I told my parents I didn't blame them, that they did the best that they could with their with, with they with the baggage that they had to bring in uh, to their life. My father's mother left him and his father when, when he was three and just walked out on them, and that was very traumatic. And then my mother had a father who was emotionally distant, so she learned it from him, and then she dealt with it. And so I, I told him I don't blame him. Um, things happen for a reason and they just did the best they could. And now it's my job now to do the best that I can with my children. So that was a big first step, you know, not to blame the family, not to blame the parents. There was a time with my brother, if you go back to the episode 19, popular brother, where I was envious of my, my middle brother. And I thought he had the perfect life, the good life, because he was good looking and very popular and a fraternity and all that. And then I outgrew that too. I'm like, what's the point of, of, of feeling that way? You know, he's a good guy. What's the point of being envious? You know, in general, what's the point of being envious of anybody? It just takes up so much energy. And also, you don't even know what's really going on in their life. You have no idea. It reminds me of that Robin Williams movie, One Hour Photo, where he's a photo processor and he's looking at the picture of this ideal family and he kind of lives vicariously through them. And it's a couple with a child. And then he finds out that, that one of them's cheating on the other and it just destroys them and it, he makes them snap. And then he goes down this really dark path for the rest of the movie. And so the issue with like social media, you know, that's why there's such a high rate of depression among people who use Facebook and social media all the time, because we only see the best of people on those platforms. And we think of the worst of ourselves 
when we're looking on those platforms, when we compare ourselves to the what these people are presenting, and so naturally we 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 get depressed and we turn on ourselves. So there's no point of being envious. You know, if anything, use that as a motivation to improve whatever problems you're having in your life. So that was a big step, doing with the family. And then I, the, the, other big, the other big step was just noticing my coping mechanisms. So going back to a few episodes before this, and definitely the one before this on early childhood traumas and how they're linked to obesity, I developed coping mechanisms to deal with uh, being overweight. And, and I, de- I developed quite a bit of them. So like one of them was... Um, trying to deflect attention, you know, trying to be humorous because that would give the atten- uh, take attention off of the way I look. This goes back to the Invisible Student, episode three. You know, fat people don't want to be looked at. Fat people don't want to be in front of the classroom. So I developed that too. So like when I'm talking to people, there's really not a lot of moments of silence because I I want to like fill the time, you know, and that's just part of my my kind of anxious issues. And then, of course, controlling my environment is a big one. Uh, I need everything kind of in a routine to give myself control because I didn't have any control as a child. You know, I didn't know what I was going to get from my father or from my mother, and I certainly didn't know what I got from the food. So food helps soothe that kind of anxiety issue. And, and that's what routines do. And so I have to control my environment. And unfortunately, that goes to controlling people on one level to controlling people, and I recognize that too, and that definitely sabotages and hurts any relationship I have, family, friends, or lovers. Uh, the, the other one is I've been reading a lot of books about uh, people-pleasing. So I, I read the profile on people-pleasers, and I fit that profile. And if you look at the family background of people-pleasers, it's the same thing. They didn't. They had. They have attachment issues because they were never able to attach to their parents because, uh, more often than not, their parents couldn't give them the the attention and nourishment that the child needed, and so the child compensates by being overly pleasing to the parents to stay in their good graces because they're worried that their parents are going to leave them because the parents never gave them that kind of soothing. Uh, fulfillment that they're never going to leave them. And so people pleasers tend to always acquiesce. They always consent without approval. They always want to be nice. They call it nice people syndrome. That's another way to call it. And so I, I was definitely in this profile, definitely this profile, always being nice, always saying yes. The power of no, I really had no concept of. And if you read the books, on, I read this, the, a particular book I read was called Anxious to Please. So if you want to look it up on Amazon, Anxious to Please. And uh, it talks about you know, what people pleasers go through. They talk about the goddess or God, God complex that they put their lover on. And it's just fascinating. They talk about how you have a higher rate of substance abuse and infidelity and all these things. And then, of course, they give you tools on how to break out of that and find who you really are and your own awareness and then, and then transform yourself. But certainly I was, I was a people pleaser because I didn't want people to abandon me and I didn't want people to hurt me or yell at me or make fun of me even though I had lost my weight. And the funny thing about people pleasers is that people that are in relationships with people pleasers, nice people syndrome, is they, they, they get frustrated 
And well, let me go back to the actual people pleaser. So the people please the people pleaser, the guy, the person is always kind of angry because they're acquiescing to doing things they really don't want to do, but they're afraid to lose the goddess. So in my case, it'd be the goddess, the the woman that you put on a platform, or before that, it'd be your parents. But in an adult life, let's say it's your girlfriend, wife, whatever, the goddess. So you don't see them as a regular person. You see them as this deified figure. And so you always say yes to everything that they want because you're afraid that they're going to withhold their attention like your parents did and then eventually withhold sex and then turn on you. And the funny thing is, is in most cases, uh, your, your partner respects you less because you're always trying to please them. And that they would respect you more if you expressed your own needs. Uh, because it would show that you have some self-respect and some some like awareness of, of what your needs are. And, and that's the other problem with the, like codependent relationships is that your needs get subsumed by the needs of the person with the problem. And in in general, relationships are difficult because we always have to find this middle ground, like porridge, right? Not too hot, not too cold, where we are looking out for our own needs. And it's not selfish to always look for our own needs, but we have to watch out for ourselves because for us to really be happy and really to be the best we can be to our partner is that we have to find fulfillment in our own and not find it through somebody else because that will always fail, right? If anything, they'll dump you or they'll die, one of the two. So you have to find fulfillment in yourself. And so there's this fine line because you need to find what's good for you. You need to do things that make you feel good, that, that enrich you. But at the same time, you also have to compromise and do things that your partner wants. So a great example that they gave in this book and that I did a lot with my ex-wife was just like never went out with my friends. I never went out with my friends because my ex-wife would give me a hard time about it. And I would say like maybe I saw my friends like three times a year, right? Three times a year. And the book describes it really well and I can't really do it justice, but but a people pleaser will uh, always decline to see their friends if they're if they're person, their lover expresses any interest in them not wanting to see them. And they'll be like, okay, I guess I'll stay with you all the time. And really, the, the other person is just like, have some respect. If you want to go see your friends, tell me you want to go see your friends. It's like, you know, 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 your, know your wants and your desires and stand up for them. And as a people pleaser, I didn't stand up for what I wanted. I would always just acquiesce. And then the people pleaser person develops passive aggression, passive aggressive tendencies. Uh, because part of them knows that they're doing it to placate the other, to keep the peace and whatnot. But then part of them, they get angry at their partner because they feel like they're sacrificing and giving up everything and their partner is not giving up anything. But the thing is, is that they have really no reason to be angry at their partner because they've never articulated what they want. So they become passive aggressive toward their partner, which is not fair to their partner. It's not fair to the partner. So I noticed that, and I noticed that with my ex-wife, uh, and I've, I think I've mentioned in previous episodes the kind of relationship that we had where um, it was similar to that, and I don't want to malign her now on this podcast, but uh, it was very similar to that, and I noticed that with my with my relationships since then, and so that that is a, a revelation that I've been working on on this 27th anniversary of my weight loss is, is trying to find my voice trying to find a middle ground where I stand up for what I need for my own nurturing and my own development and my own identity 
while at the same time being respectful of what others are needing and trying to find uh, that middle ground, you know. And the other thing I'm working on is not being so needy. You know, as, as a child who has an attachment anxiety, because again, going back to, to my own personal experience, but in general, kids with attachment anxiety, they, they are needy, right? Because they never got the nurturance that they got as a child. And so I tend, I, I see on, at times that I can be needy, like with my friends. Like I, I, want, I want to talk to my friends or I need to talk to my friends all the time. That's kind of needy and definitely in relationships. So I'm working on not being needy because being needy is not, it does not put you in a position of strength. It does not put you in a position of, uh, I guess, looking good. So I am working on that as well. So that's another thing. That, that I, I kind of, of, of retrospecting on on this 27th anniversary special. I think that if you go back to the last year's anniversary special, which I think is just called the anniversary special, last May 4th, I think if I recall, that, that was kind of a sad episode. And I don't want this one to be sad. It's just kind of an update of how I'm doing and what I'm doing. So look, in review, to end this, I'm in a good place. I like where my life is, despite the complaints about having attachment issues and, and needy and working on my neediness. As a whole, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, I'm I'm certainly happy that I've I've able to maintain my weight now for 27 years, which is insane. Insane to think that I was in high school 27 years ago. It just makes me feel old. But in general, uh, it's an amazing accomplishment, and that is not being arrogant. I, that's just a statement. I think anyone would tell if you if you told somebody that you've lost so much weight and kept it off for that long. I mean, they would probably compliment you on that. So I, I acknowledge it. It's it's a pretty amazing feat that I've been able to do this, and. Uh, because I've able to to lose the weight and to keep it off, I've been able to have a life and relationships that I probably wouldn't have had had I maintained uh, my obesity. Or I might not even be here right now. If you go to the episode on Dark Night of the Soul, I talk about uh, my, my my thoughts of suicide and even my attempts to do so and the cutting and all that. So who knows if I had not lost my weight, would I be here? So I realize that I'm very lucky to have lost my weight because there's many people who grew up with these, uh, with being an emotional eater and an overweight child and never lost it. So I acknowledge that. And do I have room to grow? Yes. Am I a perfect person? No. Do I need to work on my controlling issues? Yes. Yes. Do I need to work on not... Being so hard on myself, yes. You know, I think all of us have to work on that. Do I need to work on finding happiness where I'm not defined by another person in my life? Yes. Do I need to work on my attachment issues? Yes. Do I need to work on my anxiety and insomnia issues? Those have largely gone away if you go to the MPE episodes where I talk about that. But yes. Do I need to work on being a better father? Of course. So, I mean, of course, we're all works in progress. But as a whole... As a 44-year-old male, I'm pretty happy with my life right now. And I'm just on this path of just making myself the best person that I can be and being respectful of loved ones in my life and most importantly, being respectful of what I need. What I need and what 
I need to become a better person and finding the power of no and finding the power of standing up for myself and not being the fat kid in the corner anymore. And of course, with these episodes in the series, I will continue to give you updates as to how I am doing. Guys, last thing I want to mention is please post a review for Confessions of an Obese Child, NPE Radio, or Kate's Apothecary. In particular, post a review for this episode, this series. It'd mean a lot to me. It'd only take you a few minutes. And hit subscribe right now, and you'll get these episodes straight to your phone. And I do these about once a month now because I mostly focus on, on, on MPE more. I just released some episodes on MPE on um, the connection between anxiety drugs, the benzodiazepines, and alcohol. Because, again, a, you know, a lot of people are on anxiety drugs like Xanax. And a lot of people are overweight. Or I mean, anxiety is such a pervasive problem right now. It's such a pervasive problem. And it's connected to the, the, the explosive rate of depression right now which is probably not coincidentally connected to the explosive growth of, uh, growth of social media and phones because you know, phones make us depressed. Social media makes us depressed. And then we atomize our life. You know, it's, not like, it's not like even 70 years ago and definitely before that how we all lived in small family units. We all lived in the same town or even maybe in the same house with our family members, our grandmothers, our aunts and uncles. Or we definitely lived in the same town. And we had more friends, and now we've all kind of split up, and we're on different parts of the world, and we lose that structure. We lose that structure, and then we turn to television and social media and food, and none of those really serve that need to feel nurtured and to feel complete. Those are just stopgap methods, and especially you know even TV. We don't really think about it, but TV is that way too. And so it's not surprising that our anxiety level is skyrocketing. And then with that, a lot of people don't know that drinking alcohol, even not drinking a lot of alcohol while you're taking these drugs, causes major problems. Aside from developing tolerance for Xanax, uh, you can develop an addiction to it. And then when you add in alcohol, you can overdose. And then today or yesterday, I released an episode on synthetic cannabinoids. These are going to be, most of you guys aren't familiar with this. The The younger kids would be the millennials. Now, these are uh, fake, they're essentially chemicals that look like marijuana and give you the high of marijuana, but they're not marijuana. And in fact, they're quite tainted and they come from China. They're just really bad for you and people are dying from them. And then I have uh, some episodes on baby wipes that I've done that might be linked to food allergies and cancer and then some ingredients in essential oils that may be leading to breast development and kids and so forth. So go check those out. Go check those out. So sorry about going so long on the end there. All right, guys. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.